Welcome to the ICC podcast, Intelligence Career Conversations. I'm your host, Jim Donnelly, and it's a true pleasure to introduce our distinguished guest for this episode, Nicole Shelley Pilkus. Nicole serves as the Principal Deputy Director of the Office of Policy and Strategy within the National Reconnaissance Office. A dynamic national security professional with more than 25 years of experience, she specializes in integrated operations and collaborative efforts spanning multiple agencies, functions, and or nations. She has held a wide range of staff, analytic, and managerial positions in both the public and private sectors. Nicole, welcome and great to have you on today's podcast. Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's jump right in, Nicole. Um, tell us about yourself. How did you get started in the intelligence national security space? Well, my interest in federal service writ large was actually initially peaked in high school by my high school social studies teacher, Richard Grusella. And he was a county councilman at the time and then later went on to serve as a Pennsylvania state representative. He also led the politics, uh, government and politics club, which I joined. And I knew right then that I wanted to work in the government. And then as an undergrad, one of my majors was political science, specifically focused on international relations. And I had a professor there, Ed Trozanski, who was a former Govey and provided occasional national security commentary for network news. And I think that exposure really honed me in on the national security space. Great. Well, I'm a fellow political science major uh, as well. That's great. Um, talk to us about your current role. Can you tell us a little bit about your role, your responsibilities, or a typical day? Um, so as you said, I'm the principal deputy director for the Office of Policy and Strategy at the National Reconnaissance Office, or NRO. Um, and honestly, there is no typical day in our office, which is one of the things I love most about it. Um, I am always learning. I'm always getting the opportunity to work on new issues. And officially, our office manages NRO's international partnerships, uh, the national space community interactions that the organization has, our corporate policy, uh, a large amount of our executive branch oversight engagements, and mission compliance, basically meaning that everything we do, we do according to law and policy. Um, unofficially, our office has additional duties, and in fact, we support and or represent the director of the NRO, the principal deputy director of the NRO, or the deputy director almost daily. And that unofficial role, I think, is what exposes me to some of the most senior engagements and decision-making in the community. And that has been a really pleasant surprise to have that additional exposure and experience in this position. Great. What, uh, what most excites you about the, the position or, or the organization itself, NRO, being a part of that organization? I think what most excites me and has me most engaged is that I'm a Socratic learner. So that means I need to be able to think out loud. I need to be able to talk through challenges. And what I found upon um, coming to the NRO is that it too is a Socratic learning organization. So open dialogue is valued, differing opinions and ideas are welcome. And I felt immediately at home in that environment. And I really appreciate that the organizational culture at NRO allows for that type of discussion and even dissent. Um, and I recently had a, a conversation with um, the director, Dr. Scalise, about this subject. 
And I opined that if you don't have different opinions being expressed or different viewpoints, you either don't have enough diversity in your ranks um, or you're experiencing groupthink or people are afraid to speak up. And none of those are going to get you to the best mission outcome. Um, and frankly, NRO is very mission driven. So it's not a surprise that they have that culture. It was just, it's a really, it's a really comfortable place for me to, to engage. And I really enjoy that. No, that's extremely interesting. It's such a uh, collaborative uh, environment. That's, that's great to hear. How about, um, Nicole, what professional experiences led you to your current position there at the NRO? Um, this is going to be a little bit of a funny answer. Believe it or not, I am in my position for two reasons. One, because I participated in an NRO-led war game back in 2014. And two, because I'm extremely sarcastic. <laughs> so I had worked with my NRO counterparts prior to 2014, but that war game is actually where I met my current boss, Damon Wells, and met one of the people who currently work for me in my current position. Uh, I was really interested in the breadth of missions that um, the Office of Policy and Strategy, or OPNS as we call it, um, the missions that that office oversees. And so I kept kind of one eye on it for several years. And when asked about my quote, dream job, I would often joke that my dream job was Damon Wells's job at NRO, but he was never going to give it up. <laughs> and so um, I'm going to provide that exact answer to somebody at a professional event toward the end of 2021. And much to my surprise, the person I said that to used to be Damon's deputy. And he happened to know that my current position was vacant. So I, I didn't actually apply right away because by the time I found the vacancy announcement, it was closing the very next day and I refused to put in a subpar application. I thought I'd rather wait until it opens again rather than make a bad impression. Um, and then they re-advertised it. So when I saw that it came open again, I jumped at the chance, I applied. Turns out that Damon remembered me from that 2014 event. I was interviewed and I was selected. Uh, so I guess the moral of the story is twofold. One, always try to make a great first impression. Yeah. <laughs> and two, don't be shy about sharing what your goals are. And, and, and right, a part, big part of that too, the networking side of it as well. Yes. That, that's a yes, great, definitely. great example. And, and thank you for sharing that. How about, I mean, you have a very impressive educational background, um, Nicole. How did your degree impact your career trajectory or degrees, I should say? Um, I, I think I'm in the minority in that I declared a major going in freshman year of undergrad and never changed it. So I have a bachelor's in political science and French and a minor in international studies. And I initially applied all of that to international business because I happened to graduate from college during a federal hiring freeze. Um, so I had, a, I had a tentative job offer from the Immigration and Naturalization Service, or INS at the time, but they weren't allowed to hire me. So I was kind of put on pause and I had to look for other employment. Um, later, I earned a master's in public administration specifically to be more competitive for federal positions. 
And um, ironically, strategic planning was my first graduate class. And I fell in love with it, uh, which is lucky because my current job is one of several strategy focused positions that I've held over my career. Um, and it was actually my graduate program where my graduate statistics professor told me about the presidential management intern program, now called the presidential management fellows program. Um, and he encouraged me to apply for that. So I did. I made it through the, I think, three rounds of the selection process with, uh, with OPM and was ultimately hired by diplomatic security at the Department of State. And then in, my, in 2016, I earned a second master's, and this was at one of the senior service schools at uh, National Defense University, um, mostly attended by military senior O5s, 06s. And that particular degree and that experience gave me a much better understanding of the uniformed members of our community and really provided me with a set of skills that I've applied to every job I've had since then. So I think in my case, really, all of my education has ended up being directly linked to my professional successes. Great. How about um, what would you advise students uh, and or early to mid careerists as they consider advanced degrees or certifications? Well, I think first off, especially in this country, education costs a lot, both in time and money. Um, so don't study something you aren't passionate about just to get a job. Um, it's a lot of energy and a lot of resource to put into something that doesn't light a fire in your belly. Um, I would say also try to find a position that has tuition assistance or student loan repayment benefits. Um, and don't feel pressured to go straight to grad school. I know a lot of a lot of graduating undergrads kind of think that they have to go to grad school to be competitive in the job market. and. What I found is that if you and, and the other students have some experience under your belt, you'll be shocked at how much you actually learn from each other in grad school and not just from the professors. Um, and they're just, I guess, remember there's many paths and there's many timelines and there's no right answer. So personally, I have six years between my undergraduate degree and my first master's and then 16 years between my two master's degrees. So I guess there's no need to rush and there's no one right way to go about it. Great. No, I think that's great advice, uh, Nicole. How about, can you talk about a particular career point, uh, such as the decision or opportunity that shaped your career trajectory? Yes. Um, I think my major career pivot was when I moved from the Department of State to the Department of Defense in January of 2006. It was an emotional event for me. It was the first time in my life I voluntarily left an employer as opposed to changing jobs because my domicile was moving, right? Because I was moving to college or moving back from college or moving overseas. And this was the first time I was staying put as far as where I lived, but I was choosing to leave an employer and that felt really disloyal to me. Um, it was really hard to make that decision, but I'm really glad I did. Um, that decision put me on a career path with almost infinite possibilities. And I enjoyed working for diplomatic security, but after about five years there, I could no longer see enough diversity of professional opportunities for me that would result in a 30-year career. 
And I was civil service. I wasn't foreign service. And at State Department, that severely limits the positions that are available to you. And I think I knew then that my interests were broad and instinctively I wanted to be a generalist. Um, and to successfully do that, I needed to find an organization that would give me more choices. So I feel like I've certainly taken advantage of those choices during my almost 18 years in DOD now. Um, my resume reads like I can't hold a job or I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, but, but I'm glad I made the jump. Great. No, that's good. How about what's one thing you wish someone had told you when you were, say, five or 10 years into your career, Nicole? Um, that's easy. Okay. <laughs> I Maybe earlier than five or 10 years in. I wish someone had sat me down and told me to show myself more grace, um, to not be so hard on myself. I, I always felt this push to achieve and that failure is never an option. But I think failure with a small F, meaning no one died, the world didn't stop spinning. Um, I think that's okay, right? Failure is how we learn. And I think sometimes those small failures actually push us into a better place, right? Or lead us to a better solution um, than the one that we might have been pursuing initially. So I, I wish I had learned that much earlier in my career. Great, no, that's that's great. Um, how about if you were talking to someone who's in college or just starting in their careers and wants to pursue a, a career, say at the NGA or the NRO, what advice would you give them? I think I would give the same advice no matter what organization somebody was trying to join, whether that was an agency or a directorate within an agency. And this is this is loosely based on some advice someone gave me once when they were asking if I had interest in working in the research and development directorate at NGA. And my answer was, I don't have a PhD and I'm not a scientist. Um, and so I think my my advice would be don't count yourself out just because you don't represent that organization's core mission. So in other words, NRO hires financial experts, they hire human resource officers, they hire people with international experience. Um, we aren't all engineers and rocket scientists, although we do have lots of those. <laughs> um, right? Uh, there are many ways to contribute to the mission. And I use the analogy of a hospital. So I tell people when I'm mentoring them, you know, no hospital would be able to function if all the hospital hired were doctors, right? No nurses, no administrators, no orderlies, no cafeteria workers, right? The hospital wouldn't function. Um, so I, I think honestly at NRO, I'm the perfect example of that because I have zero STEM degrees. Um, and, and I tell people I don't do math in public because for poli sci majors, that's just embarrassing for everybody. So figure out your strengths, figure out what you bring to the table, and then highlight those skills to whoever's making the hiring decision at whatever organization. No, that's great. Would that advice be the same for someone, say, that's five or 10 years into their uh, career? I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think there's a phenomenon that it's anecdotal evidence for sure, right? I'm not gonna quote a study on this, but what I've seen and what I felt personally is that at kind of that five to 10 year point, a lot of people 
feel like they're stagnating or they aren't learning or growing as much. Um, and so, so I say to people at that, at that point to seek out, you know, new training opportunities or higher education, right? Maybe go back at that point for a graduate degree. Um, also, it's important to find ways to measure success that aren't linked to a promotion, um, like moving into a team lead role or becoming a first line supervisor or even leading a working group or something that's an interagency effort. Um, because in a lot of cases, when you come into the government, those first five years have some quick secession promotions, right? As you attain that journeyman level. So you come in as a five, seven, nine or a nine, 11, 12, um, and you're building proficiency in your craft. But when you look at it really over the long term, you can expect an average of only three to six promotions in the government over a 30 year career. So that initial promotion um, pace, right, is not sustainable. Um, and you have to be okay with a plateau and use it to broaden yourself or, or look at things differently. So for example, for my 20 three years in federal service so far. I spent seven years as a GS 13, 14 equivalent. I spent another seven years as a GS 15. So some people would look at that as a significant plateau, but I think those seven year time periods afforded me the opportunity to try a lot of different things at each of those grade levels. No, that's great. Thank you. Thank you again, Nicole, for sharing. Um, how about what disciplines or specialties do you believe will be in high demand in the near future? So I have two answers to this. Um, okay. And those, those answers are actually inspired by a book called The Fuzzy and the Techie by Scott Hartley, um, who I met at a conference and uh, was a very engaging speaker and I bought the book. But the book highlights that only diverse skill sets will solve the most challenging problems. And so my first answer to this, I would say, is anything data, data scientists, coders, data analysts, because historically the intelligence community didn't have enough data, but now we're on the verge of drowning in it. And we need people who understand how to leverage big data, how to curate it, manage it, tag it, store it, visualize it. Um, so I think that's going to be very important. It's, it's important now and it will continue to be important in the future. The second answer, I think, are strong leadership and interpersonal skills. Um, I cannot overstate the importance of relationships and human understanding in your career. Um, and our, I know our personal lives moved largely into the virtual realm during COVID. And I think during that period, some people got very comfortable avoiding face-to-face -face interactions. And I think unfortunately for some adolescents, that two years maybe um, caused them to miss out on formative high school and college experiences that would have allowed them to develop, develop those interpersonal skills. Um, but frankly, work in the intelligence community or national security is a team sport. And I cannot think of a single job I've ever held where I didn't need to build or maintain or leverage relationships with other people in other organizations to be successful. So data and soft soft skills, right, interpersonal skills, I think are equally important. Okay. Um, 
you've given us obviously a, a great deal of um, insight and advice, Nicole. What's some of the, or could you give us an example of the best career advice you've received? The best career advice and the one I've probably applied most often um, was from Carlita Bowling. She was the executive in residence during a two-week leadership training um, when I was a GS-14. And she recognized that I was a planner and I liked to have things mapped out. And she said, never dismiss an opportunity that someone else suggests just because it wasn't on my plan. Um, I've held jobs that didn't exist before I had them. I've had people approach me about jobs I never would have considered on my own. Um, and although those things weren't on my plan, they all turned out to be great experiences. Okay, fantastic. How about, did you have a, a, a mentor, a, spans, a sponsor or an ally um, and how did they affect your uh, professional development, Nicole? I, I am lucky. I have had several amazing mentors and allies over the course of my career. Um, some were situational, others have been ongoing. The people I call at each professional juncture to help me decide which job would be a good fit for me, right? Those are kind of those ongoing relationships. Mm -hmm. um, but mentors have educated me on kind of the unspoken rules of an organization, the internal politics. They've pushed me out of my comfort zone. Um, and they, you know, and to my last point, they've helped me see opportunities that I wouldn't have seen as a good fit for myself, but turned out to be great. So um, I'm very lucky in that, um, and that I've had a lot of mentoring assistance along the way. How, how did you find your mentors? So most of them were um, informal mentors that I met because they were my supervisor um, and they agreed, you know, there's somebody I admired and I respected and they agreed to continue that relationship even after one or both of us had moved on. Um, but I have met a few mentors through kind of formal events like speed mentoring or even where my agency would match senior executives with people who need their promotion packages reviewed, for instance. Um, and so I've met some of them that way. And then in turn, that's how I've met many of my mentees. So nothing really formal or structured with a certain schedule, um, but, but certainly a, a wide range. Great, no, fantastic. Um, we greatly appreciate having you on our podcast today, Nicole, uh, and we're truly grateful for your willingness to share your valuable experience and insights with us. Um, that will conclude today's podcast. Thank you again to our guest, uh, Nicole, and thank you everyone for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome now.